Hey everyone, it's Benson, and thanks for listening to Welcome Distractions. I just wanted to let you all know that this podcast is neither Big Red Sports Talk or The Alex Kaufman Show. Alex will be a big part of this podcast as he takes on a producer-slash-frequent-guest role, but I wanted to let to say out front that this is a new podcast hosted by myself and Mitch Crawl. Thanks for your time, and enjoy Welcome Distractions. Hi everyone, welcome to Welcome Distractions. Uh, my name is Mitchell Crawl. I'm here with Benson Anderson, and this is the first episode of our new podcast. We are trying to do something where it's just kind of two friends, and we talk about various themes each week. We're thinking about doing once a week, and what we would do is we would switch off uh, each category, so we'd do one category each month. Yeah, and those three categories being movies. Movies slash TV, sports, and music. Right. Um, all three things that uh, you and I have talked about like on and off for years now right. via group message. That was and Benson, by the way. Yeah, not hi, some stranger. I'm sorry. I'm Benson. <laughs> uh, co-host, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so we just sort of figured, well, now that you've moved back into town, yeah. um, let's get together and actually talk about it rather than have like a inconsistent three-way text that we've both have had on Do Not Disturb for probably five six years now right right <laughs> right. yeah and and that one was mostly sports too and 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 i think we kind of you'll see i'm sure as we go but i think our tastes are not the same but they're somewhat complementary and we both think about things in in similar ways when it comes to uh, you know pop culture things like movies and tv and um and music yeah uh benson is a, a he does record so he has kind of the inside knowledge on that that we're yeah, gonna rely guess, on so i guess and 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 Mitchell, you do a lot of research on on sports analytics and, and primarily baseball. But we've we've talked sports mm-hmm. for again the, those five six years. So yeah, that's right. I, I know I like to think I know a little bit about music. I graduated with a bachelor of arts in music, um, studied mu- music history, composition, all that kind of thing. And you obviously dive a little bit deeper into the analytics of sports. So right, I tried to at least baseball, really. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that kind of gets into how we met each other too, which was uh, Benson insists we met each other on the football team. We However, did. we did. I do not remember that at all. I was uh, a junior. You and... you blocked it out because we were so bad. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> we were not good at football, but we were both pitchers in baseball, and so I do remember that because you know I was actually okay at baseball, and Benson was yeah. good at baseball as well. Um, so we kind of had that in common, both being pitchers and all of that. So. That was that was a that was what I guess 2011 2010 2011 you, so you were class of 2012 correct yeah. so yeah that must have been spring of 2011 so we've known each other for like 8 years yeah and we also counselored at uh, a day camp that's together. right hockey yeah. day camp yeah that's right so you know we've known each other for a pretty long time and uh, I think we have a rapport that'll make for an interesting listen um, yeah yeah hopefully cuz there are lots of movie podcasts that are sort of like analytical about movies right and then there are lots of sports podcasts that talk exclusively about sports but here we are consumers heavy consumers of all three of these mediums and um kind of a uh, hopefully a a pretension free podcast yeah Uh, i think we don't really know a whole lot about what we're talking about so right to to come back and and sort of make sort of uh yeah we thought there was a void of of 
people who, you know, a podcast rather, who, you know, just talk about everything that we enjoy. Yeah. I, I, and I think our interests are pretty universal. I think there, there are people who would want to hear about two non-experts' thoughts and opinions about various things, or at least hopefully. Hopefully we're yeah, funny. Ho- yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, we make ourselves laugh, yeah. obviously, so. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so normally, kind of how we alluded to before, what the podcast is going to be is we're going to have a week where we focus on movies and TV, and then the following week we would focus on music, and then the following week we would focus on sports, and we're going to try not to be super topical, but we might get into some topical things um, in each of those realms. I guess we'll be topical with movies the most, probably, Probably. TV. Probably. Yeah. Although I think within a month or, or every three weeks, having something to talk about, there's going to be plenty to talk about in the realm of sports That's and true. music. So we're going to try and keep it focused, but we're going to have a segment at the beginning of every episode where we sort of, if something um, really sort of worthwhile has happened within right. the last week or so since we've done a movie podcast, we mm-hmm. might talk about a movie for right. five if minutes at the outset. Right. In fact, I think we should probably... Have, this might be an off-air conversation, but we should probably have some sort of flexibility. Like, oh, absolutely. If it's Super Bowl week, we should probably do a sports podcast. Yeah, 100%. And that kind of thing. 100%. So, yeah, so that's kind of the basic gist, and, and we're kind of figuring it out along as as you are listening, so don't stop listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, Come on this journey with us we yes. try to figure out what the hell it is we're going to do. Yes. We will eventually become professional at this. <laughs> yeah, eventually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so like we said, it's going to be themed, and we're going to have various segments for those, so we might talk about... Uh, you know, Benton's more into newer movies where I'm into kind of, I'm into new movies, but I'm also into older movies uh, kind of equally or maybe a little less. But so we'll kind of discuss that from my end. And, and you have a far um, broader palette, I think, than I do in terms of what you've seen and what you, what you've. Potentially. Yeah. I'm we'll sure see. we'll explore that. I've probably seen way, way more bad movies from the last 18 years than you have. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> <laughs> But like. That's kind of the point of the podcast is that we we come at the same things and we think about things the same way and we enjoy the same things, but we do it differently. And I think that's where our two voices will kind right. of be interesting together. Right. And to illustrate that, like I graduated from a liberal arts school with a music degree and yeah. you graduated from UChicago in, in pre-med. So yeah, I was pre-med. We're going to look at things from so, sort of different angles, I guess. Yeah, or just our, our, our brains probably work very differently. Yeah. That's probably true. But so today's episode, we're going to do it a little differently since, um, you know, since this is the first one and, and, and just to kind of get an idea of who we are, both for each other and for the listener, for, uh, for you all, hopefully all. Um, yeah, we, we are going to do top fives uh, for each of the three categories uh, that we uh, are, are podcasting about. So we're going to do so we didn't mention, but we're both from Cleveland. We were both born and raised here. And so we're going to try not to show too much of a, a local bias during our sports segments. So our top five for today in sports is non-Cleveland sports teams. And I think this was a difficult one for both of us. Yeah. Uh, weird parameters. Like yeah. what, what we looked at it as. Teams we like to watch. You know, teams that we've just sort of felt gravitated towards because of, right. I don't know, family or... I put a team on there because I think their uniforms look really good. That's a great reason to do yeah. it. Like, and, they're, and they're really good to watch. It, it's nice to watch them because they look really good on the field. Like That's fantastic. Physically, they look really good, their uniforms. That is, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a reason to watch it. Like, I feel like the Diamondbacks uniforms suck, and I never watch the Diamondbacks. So. Yeah. 
That's they're fair. also in Phoenix, Arizona. True. Thoroughly out of market. But, yeah. But their uniforms are objectively horrible. Yeah. Well, Phoenix isn't that far. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so so that was the first one. I and and then after that, I believe we're going to do our f- albums and then our movies slash TV series. And both of those is kind of not our top five favorites, but more like the five things that we thought would show our tastes in in those in in music and movies. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally I love rewatchable movies. Right. So a lot of these movies that I put that define my tastes are movies that I can always pop on and watch. Whereas there are certain movies that I love, like American Psycho. Yeah. Love American Psycho. I think I've seen it twice. I've never seen it. Because it's not always one of those movies where I'm just like, yeah, I want to sit down and watch American Psycho really bad right, right now. Yeah, so, I think the best movies are rewatchable. I think, yeah. Or at least my favorite movies are rewatchable yeah. as well. So I think we'll have similar things on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of our plan. And we chose to do top three top fives this week because we're hoping to have a top five or a top 10 of the good point the particular category every week in the podcast so if it's a sports podcast and it's like super bowl week like you right. said um we might do top five super bowl halftime shows yeah. or top five super bowls in our our lifetimes that right. we remember seeing top five super bowl plays yeah 100%. james harrison interception or turn for a touchdown would be number one on that list for me. really you don't think it's the for me i think it's the heinz ward touchdown pass was pretty Oh. against the Seahawks. I remember that because I was like, man, you ran a wide receiver pass. Why are we only picking what, Steelers things? Because my number two things? would probably be the San Antonio the Holmes catch. Really? The David yeah. Tyree catch? Oh, David Tyree was that's up a, there too. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. There's always one play that gets that's made in the Super Bowl that's just like uh, outstanding. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know how that is. I mean, maybe it's not always, but yeah. I'm thinking, I don't know, hindsight for me right now is yeah. like glowing, but I think yeah. there's always a play that's made that's really spectacular yeah. and the best super bowls have multiple like i think that steelers cardinals one we've mentioned two of them my third one is the larry fitzgerald slant pattern where yeah. no one was covering the middle of the field and he just ran it straight in he was yeah. faster than everyone else but yeah no totally uh all right so we're a little off topic there but <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i think without further ado do you want to go ahead and do your top five non-cleveland sports teams sure that you, like you want to do five five four four three three that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. That's a very good I idea. I think that, that'll, that'll pace it a little bit right. better. And and just to be clear, this was, at least for me, this was the top five sports teams that I enjoy watching right now. So I didn't pick, yeah. like, I was considering putting the 2010, 2014, that era Giants, just because mm. they were, like, always underdogs, and they always found, like, random dudes like Cody Ross yeah. or Aubrey Huff, who was, like, yeah. who had retired. No, well, he was, like, <laughs> nobody. Well, I'll come back to, um, I think part of my list is also the same but it was i took an era that i really enjoyed watching this team and <laughs> i've sort of held on to it oh interesting so like in your case if i were if i loved watching the 2010 to 2014 giants i'd probably cling to that and still watch them a little bit more than i i do now yeah i don't give a shit about the giants <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good baseball city it just it is it stinks that they stink they yeah they still had like really good attendance last year they do despite being horrible yeah, I actually considered putting them there for that very reason because yeah. they're not a hateable team and they are like good baseball city. Whereas yeah. like Boston, they sell out every game, but I want to punch all you know thirty seven thousand <laughs> people the at the stadium. Sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, do you want to go with your number five pick? Sure, I'll go number five. Um, and this is based on the team I want. I would like to watch now. Um, this is Benson's the... number five. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll splice in like a really epic number five. Um, number five. 
<laughs> Who needs it? We got Mitch. Um, the Washington Wizards of the National Basketball oh. Association. Why? Um, so this is a team that I think is consistently competitive without being a quote-unquote super team. Hmm. Um, and that's what I love most about the Wizards is they've drafted well. Wall, Beal. They put together really good supplementary pieces. Oh, Otto Porter, yeah. also a good draft pick that they were patient with because he didn't play his first season, I don't believe. Or he played very late. He was injured when he was drafted. I know that mm-hmm. much. Um, I do remember that. And um, they just picked up Dwight Howard, who I always think is gets way too much crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's a good player. And they're going to be a fun team to watch in the Eastern Conference that is now significantly weaker without LeBron James in it. That's true. That's a good point. That'll be interesting this year. I'm not a big Dwight Howard fan myself. I'm not a huge Dwight Howard fan either, but I think he just gets thrashed despite putting up pretty consistent numbers for his entire career. Yeah, it's a personality thing for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I, um, he's moved... I mean, there are certain Dwight Howard eras that I just completely forget about. He was a Houston Rocket at one point. Yeah, that's like true. Like a whole season, I think. That's and true. I do not remember that at oh, all. Oh, he was bad. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. The Wizards will be an interesting team this year uh, in the LeBronless East, in the nobody East. Yeah. Uh, my number five, and I stress this is not a team that I enjoy watching. Or this is a team that I enjoy watching. This is not a team that I root for. This is a team that I enjoy rooting against. Uh, and that's the New York Yankees. Ooh. Uh, I think baseball is better when the Yankees are good. I think that that's a truism that you hear a lot, but I think it's very true. Yeah, it's a very New York. Um, that's a very New Yorker. Um, <laughs> but the thing uh, is, sentiment. I don't. But I don't like them. I just yeah. think like the historical precedent for the Yankees is that they always win. They're always good. Um, so when you beat them, it's that much more special when they're good. Like, yeah. No one wants the Yankees to be 62 and 100 because that would, uh, where's the fun in that? Like, I want them to be good so we can hate them. And like, they're trying, they're tricking people right now because they're like young and fun and everyone's like, oh, new Yankees, great. But they still have a massive payroll. Yeah. And also that was them in like 95, 96. Everyone's like, oh, fun new Yankees. No, they're still the Yankees. So I think they also have great uniforms. I like their uniforms. Yeah, okay. They look really good all the time. But... Yeah, I hate the Yankees. Uh, I was considering, I think you could also put the Red Sox there for very same reasons. Um, and the Red Sox do have a more personal Cleveland uh, thrashing. Yeah, I suppose. But that's my number five is the Yankees. Yeah, it's like um, the point you made about the Yankees. Like, It's like having a really good movie villain. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. You, want, you want there to be a guy that you really want to topple. Right. That you want your heroes to topple. And in our, in our case being unabashed Cleveland sports fans yeah. like when the Indians beat the Yankees or if the Indians beat the Yankees which didn't happen last year mm-hmm. it feels exponentially better right like I think if the Indians beat the Cubs in the World Series which is sad that they don't they didn't and now I hate the Cubs <laughs> but if they did beat the Cubs I would kind of feel bad about it yeah okay we can Whereas, talk about the Cubs maybe in another yeah. episode. <laughs> um, number four for me is the Carolina Panthers. Oh, um, Cam. Yeah, I love Cam Newton. Cam's great. Um, the visor. And and just a guy who, he was picked number one overall, but people were sort of thinking maybe he was a late first rounder, early mm-hmm. second rounder, just because of how raw he was. And mm-hmm. he came in his rookie year, did just awesome things. And they, and they built that team around Cam. And he's just so, he's so fun to watch. Yeah. He's so tall that he doesn't look that fast. Yeah. But he, his legs are so long and mm-hmm. he has these like gazelle-like movements where he's just gone in a flash. I love his throws. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's got a rocket arm. And it looks like he's lobbing it. Yeah. And I love their sort of defense first mentality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just kind of play a play a, a, a classic kind of hard nosed game of football down in down in Carolina. Yeah, and, uh, I've got family in Greensboro, so they're, oh, nice. they're Panthers fans, and we like the Carolina Panthers yeah. too. And they're NFC, so they're kind of not even a not Correct. a rival. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're under new ownership, which I, you know, leave politics aside, but I think it's a good development in in kind of that franchise and problems with the NFL with the old guard versus the new guard. Yeah, I and think in yeah. general, new ownership is always kind of exciting. You always yeah. want to see what, what sort of culture change there is in a, in a right. franchise. Right. Yeah, that's a good pick. It's a very quality pick. Uh, my number four is the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, formerly of Anaheim. I thought about them. I thought about the Angels. Yeah, there there are two reasons why I put the Angels here. It's uh, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have any reason to like them other than that, but like those are two of the most exciting players in the game right now. And I think, you know, you're a fool if you are not, you know, interested in watching, you know, potentially the greatest player of all time and potentially the most interesting player of the last hundred years and you want them to maximize that yeah. you want them to maximize those two young i mean really generational talents in in reality the the angels are you know one of the great tragedies of this era of the mlb yeah. because they have those talents and they have done nothing with them so you know kind of a it's like a gripping car crash but at the same time if you're not a fan of <laughs> like the whole nba kind of super team thing like yeah that's the counterpoint in baseball is they have the best player who we've seen in other sports, and mm-hmm. had the best player in the league who we've seen in the other sports, namely the NBA, that can yeah. literally drag a team to success. Yeah. And then there's the Angels, who have the best player in baseball, and they sort of get to 500 around yeah. every season. And you want them to really kind of put those pieces together and, and get through and see playoff Mike Trout. And, you know, he can really cement his legend. Yeah, that would be... Um, that would be amazing to see, and I don't think it's going to happen with the Angels, sadly. Um, anyway, that's my number four pick because they're just like, you know, two of the nine guys in the lineup. It's like you're glued to the TV and need to watch. Uh, number three for me staying in the NFL is the New York Jets. Why? They also stink. <laughs> they stink. So we can always fall back on, um, as Browns fans, being like, well, the Jets aren't that good either. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. And this is the team that I was alluding to. I think their uniforms look Awesome. Really? Yes. Huh. I was watching them on Monday night last week, and they were mm-hmm. wearing those all whites, mm-hmm. with like the green stripes and the white helmet. They just looked so good. I do like maybe the white helmet. Maybe it's Ford Field because like they don't get dirty, mm-hmm. but man, they looked clean. I was also a big Chad Pennington fan, <laughs> like one of the more underrated quarterbacks of that early two, of those early mid two thousands. He was underrated because he was just so accurate, and like he would just complete passes. It was never, it was never a matter of like huge numbers, but the Jets were competitive. Chad Pennington um, had his jersey when I was in, like, fourth <laughs> or fifth grade. Wow. Um, it's kind of a goober-looking dude. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that much, too. The Jets um, are real good at drafting goober-looking quarterbacks, huh? <laughs> they are. Even Darnold. <laughs> they kind of goofy-looking. Yeah, Darnold's kind of a goober, too. How about Sanchez? Butt fumble. Yeah, Sanchez, the butt fumble. I was still kind of like a like a middling Jets fan at that time, so I was like, man, this really hurts to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they've gone through the quarterback carousel too. You got to feel for them, and I, I always feel like they're the sort of black sheep of New York teams. Oh yeah, um, like maybe the Islanders aside, and the Mets. I go to hockey, yeah, and the Mets. But the yeah. Mets, I always feel like are like the anti-Yankees. That's fair. Whereas the Jets aren't really the anti-Giants because I don't think the Giants get a whole lot of love either. Yeah, um, 
No one really feels bad for the Nets. But yeah. Well, maybe they do. They do this maybe. year. Oh, yeah. this, this year is horrible. Yeah. But yeah, the New York Jets are my number three, just because I like their uniforms, and they also have gone have, have seen tough times. Right, right. You know their last good quarterback in the NFL, like good quarterback, was Joe Namath. <laughs> hey, I was just talking about Chad Pennington. He wasn't good. He was fine. All right. All right, my number three is uh, my only non-baseball team on the list. Wow, okay. <laughs> Uh, it is the LA Rams. Okay. Um, and I am not a band bandwagon guy. Uh, I hopped on pre bandwagon at the beginning of last season. I decided week one, I was going to root for the Rams cause the Browns were insufferable. And, uh, little known fact, the Rams were originally a Cleveland football team. They were. Yes. They were Cleveland Rams, then LA Rams, then St. Louis Rams, then LA Rams again. So I th- figured if I can't root for the Browns or there's no point rooting for the Browns, let's root for the original Cleveland team. Yeah. And hey, it turned out they were pretty good. And now, you know, they are quite potentially the best or top three team in the NFL, which is real exciting. They run a really exciting uh, offense. They have a young coach, a innovative, and, you know, they're kind of the new guard. And Aaron Donald's just a beast. Yeah, so I, mean, I like love the, the, the template of how to build a good team. Is right there in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, not the Chargers. No, not the Chargers. <laughs> well, the, the Chargers look pretty good this year too. They're always talented. Yeah, we'll always, see how it happens. Yeah, I don't. They're always in the like like that seven and nine to nine and seven range. Right. With Plus, a sort of fringe playoff, but that's exactly what they are. But, but also with the Rams, uh, a former classmate of ours is yeah. the beat writer yeah. for the Rams, which is pretty cool. Uh, and he's a great guy, so I yeah. always love reading and seeing him on TV yeah. and stuff. And so, so he's. He's a Rams fan. He's a Rams guy, so it's tough to not be a Rams guy, especially with them being in the NFC West. Like, yeah, what difference does it make if we, as Cleveland sports fans, root for a team on the West Coast in a different conference? Right, right, uh, yeah. And you know, I still hate the Seahawks, so I can root against the Seahawks. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's your number two? Number two for me is the St. Louis Cardinals. St. Um, Louis Cardinals. Yeah, small I hate fans. Old, old team. I mean, ancient team, mm-hmm. like as old as professional baseball itself, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a small market team that really depends on its pipeline, mm-hmm. um, bringing up young prospects. Um, the city loves baseball. Like I'm still aboard the train that that the Rams had to leave St. Louis because they couldn't compete with the baseball team, which is great. Yeah, I mean, which is totally like the opposite of the way that things are trending in the United States right now in yeah. terms of like sports consumption. Yeah. Um, but St. Louis, man, I mean, Bush Stadium is filled all the time. It's a beautiful park. Mm-hmm. Wish I could have gone. I mean, it's not. it hasn't been torn down. I would like to go at some point. Um, and they always have, like, young, scrappy players. Like, yeah. With so, so much consistency. And there's a lot of consistency there in St. Louis in terms of putting a competitive product on the field, which is um, admirable for us as Indians fans because we feel like that's what our – front office has done really well is despite our small market, we put a competitive team on the field and really depend on young talent. And, um, I love, I love watching the Cardinals. I always root for the Cardinals in the, in the NL central. Yeah. They always have, uh, these guys that, you know, they're non prospects like a Tommy Pham or a Steven Piscotty or a Randall Grichuk. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and these guys who you've never heard of, and then they come up and hit 280 with 30 homers. And, yeah. you know, get on base. And, and then they, they're really impressive. Yeah, and they have good careers for themselves for the most part. I mean, yeah. not, not not a lot of them are, like, one-season wonders. Right, um, right. Yeah, Tommy Pham's a beast. Yeah, I Tommy love Tommy Pham. And, you know, whether or not you want them to trade him. Because now they're back in playoff contention. Yeah, they are. Um, but things like that sort of happen, I suppose. 
Yeah, that's true. My number two is also in the NL Central. It's the K- Brewers. It's oh. the Brewers. Um, yeah, they're fun. They're talk about small market. They're the smallest market in the major leagues. Um, and I really, really like them and I'm really rooting for them because despite them being a small market team, they're really going for it. They have a beautiful new stadium. They just signed guys to big contracts in this offseason. Lorenzo Kane. They traded yep. for, uh, what's his name? Christian Yelich. Moustakis. Uh, they, yeah, they get tra- traded for Moustakis. They traded for Gio Gonzalez. They traded, um, you know, they've done things in the past like that. Um, so, yeah, I really just love the scrappy young team. I've been to their stadium. It's beautiful. Um, the parking is so easy, which I love. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I know. You can get your car and out of there in like 10 minutes. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just love it. Uh, they've never won World Series. They've only been to one World Series in their history, and they're a pretty old team. Uh, and also they play against the Cubs. So that's yeah. a re- team, That's as good of a reason for a team <laughs> as any. So uh, Yeah, the Brew Crew. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Like oh, plus, sorry, last thing about them. Yeah. Their old school logo is probably, oh, the, probably best the best baseball logo. logo in the history of sports, in my opinion. I think yeah. it's so good. The, it's so the, good. The glove with the MB. Oh, my God. It's a classic. Look it up, listener. It's a classic. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway. Number one for me, mm-hmm. the Colorado Rockies. That would have been so funny if we picked the same team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did, did you not? Okay. No. <laughs> Good. Um, so this is one of those things where you were saying you loved the 2010 to 14 Giants. Yeah. I loved the 2007 Colorado Rockies. Why? <laughs> that playoff run was so fun. Yeah, that's true. Um, Matt Holiday mm-hmm. putting together an MVP campaign and just like a guy who kind of came out of nowhere and then after that had a like pretty solid career um, yeah kind of a journeyman but really put up consistent offensive numbers wherever he went oh he's a beast um and i yeah i loved i was all aboard the colorado rockies train in 2007 i mean nice. the indians were also super competitive in 2007 yeah i mean they were a win away from the world series they were a win away from probably winning the world series yeah over they would those, the rockies. those very same colorado rockies but that was a amazing september um, that they had, and yeah. that, that Matt Holiday slide where he may or may not have touched home plate, <laughs> and he like scratched the hell out of his chin on the dirt. I mean, it was just it was crazy. Oh, and their pitching staff is somehow always pretty good despite pitching in Coors Field. Half this year, it's really good. This year, it's fantastic. We had that yeah. little trivia game where they're, I think, what you said, they were number nine in F four. Yeah, yeah, number nine or ten, um, which is impressive because F four is all about walk strikeouts and home runs, and right, and yeah. that's. And yeah, it's not it's not park adjusted or anything like that. And what a what a disadvantage that they have just playing in Coors Field. I mean, not a disadvantage, but like as as baseball sort of becomes That's more pitching heavy, yeah. Um, and you have this sort of handicap on your pitching whenever you play at home, yeah. Which is the complete opposite of what you want. Yeah, it's interesting because the the Rockies always have this weird thing where they're always above 500 at home, like significantly and always way below 500 on the road. And yeah. I think playing in Colorado has that effect of like recovery and sleep. And mm. so it's really interesting. I, I actually was at Coors Field this summer. Yeah. Yeah. It was really awesome. Great stadium. Yeah. I, yeah. I've only been to Progressive and Fenway. Oh, I've so been I to... would love to do a, a bit more of a ballpark. Tour. You should. You should. I was actually at uh, the Royal Stadium this summer too. Oh, Kaufman, cool. It's amazing, and that's an older stadium. Probably my favorite stadium I've been to. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, uh, my number one team is uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa oh. Bay. Uh, they went from being kind of almost hateable losers uh, in the beginning of their their 
time as a team because, you know, they they never got close. They were always just complete garbage yeah. for so long. And then, you know, they went under the uh, the Nate Friedman. That's right. Yeah, Nate Friedman. Uh, I think that's right. Am I right about that? Anyway, they have a... Back when they were the devil rays. Yeah. Well, they changed the rays, thank God. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they kind of have this really interesting dynamic because they can't spend any money. Right. Um, so what they do is they, they come up with these like creative wacky things and they get these players that you've never heard of and they, you know, they're always good. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. They're not always good. I mean, they were, they stunk for a few years, but not since 2008. Really? I, I don't I think thought so. they were pretty bad in like 2015, 16. Yeah. I, no, I, maybe you're right. I, I kind of always thought even then they were kind of like late long ago years. They were getting kind of bad luck in those years. Like if you yeah. look at clustering and whatnot, uh, not to get into that right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, if you look at like you know, how their hits were spread out through time, it kind of was unlucky for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're weird. They have weird players. They have weird strategies. They have the opener now. They have uh, so cool. terrible stadium. Oh, a dumpster. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for them to get that new stadium. No, me too. Um, that I was thinking about the Rays as well in my top five, but then I was just like, man, they play in such a dump. Like I don't, I don't want to go and see them play at all. Yeah, in Tropicana. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'll there. see them on the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're fun yeah. to watch. I mean, I saw a game against the Rays uh, at Progressive Field this yeah. year, um, where. Uh, Tyler Glass now. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah, I, I thought he was going to throw a hitter. Great trade. You were on TV. Yeah, <laughs> you game. took. Yeah, that was right. That was right. <laughs> um, yeah, Tyler Glass now, and he's and he and uh, Austin Meadows came over for Chris Archer, who has not had a good. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's like another sort trade. of uh, small market. Like you got to maybe to nail that cut cut ties with someone maybe a little bit sooner than you'd expect to. Yeah, um, he's not in a con. He, Chris Archer's not in a contract year. He's not old. Um, but just a guy that you maybe see on a, on a downswing, and you got an offer for yeah. the future that you can't you can't really refuse. And pitchers age differently, and 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 nobody knows more about the Ray, uh, about you know Chris Archer than the Rays, obviously. Yeah. So you know they probably knew something that you know the Pirates didn't know, and were able to snatch two promising young players. And that's the kind of thing they're doing all the time. They're they're signing guys to super cheap contracts, which is bad for the players. And I'm very pro player, mm-hmm. but. You know, I'm not with the Rays organ. I'm not with the Rays ownership. Obviously, yeah. like I, I want them to be able to pay for players because I think players, you know, players deserve money. Well, and parity is always good. I mean, yeah. you have to. It's the. It's the. You know, there's no salary cap in Major League Baseball. Right. So right. So what I love about the Rays is that they're able to make it work despite the fact that ownership, you know, doesn't yeah. allow for much spending. And that might be. That might lead to potentially underpaying players, but. I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for players, but I think they're happier to have long-term deals. Yeah, And for be sure. in a place that they know that they're going to be treated well than yeah. maybe, you know, sign with a, be a, be like a Jacoby Ellsbury. Now, <laughs> yeah, now that's play, the dream. Now Never plays play. like every four or five days. <laughs> yeah. but don't you like, I would imagine you'd want to play. If He's I were. He's a lot of money, but I'd imagine he'd want, he wants if to If I were making, if I had a seven-year, $126 million contract like Jacoby Ellsbury, you know what? If I, I just want to earn that money though a little bit. Nah. I mean, <laughs> I, I I'd be happy if I were playing, I guess, but like I wouldn't be like down on my luck if I was like, ah, one hundred twenty six million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What am enough. I doing? Fair enough. That'd be amazing. Man, I want one hundred twenty six million dollars. <laughs> <laughs>
Man, I want that. <laughs> yeah, we'd be able to put music in our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually an excellent segue because yeah. I guess our next top five is our the albums that have that sort of define our our music tastes. That's right. And um, I, I, if you'd like me to go first, we'll do the same format. You yeah, like sure. Five, five. Okay. Yeah. How do, how did you organize yours, by the way? So I guess I just organized mine by maybe the one that I come like the ones that I come back to the most. Okay. Uh, again, like when I talked about rewatchable movies, I these are albums that I can come back and listen to. There's very, there's been, there are very few times when I listen to an album all the way through and be like, I didn't like that. Yeah. But what speaks to me most is when I'm, you know, scrolling through my iTunes and I find an album that I want to go back to and listen to again. Because mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of things one or two times through and be like, you know, kind of put it away. Didn't hate it. I don't. It's not that I didn't like it. Um, it's just that I don't want to listen to it again. It doesn't do anything for me on third, fourth, fifth listen. Yeah. Uh, maybe a few songs here or there. Right. Um, <clears throat> so that was what I... But you actually ranked them. You said, like, this is the fifth most, this is the fourth, because I didn't rank mine. Yeah, I think I, I think I ranked mine, and I feel pretty good about where they are in the rankings. Okay. Um, all from 2010 or sooner. Okay. Yeah, um, mine are a little more old. And I think we all have like a favorite Beatles album. Yeah, and um, I, I decided that's worth putting in this. Yeah, yeah. and I think that, that defines things. So like my favorite Beatles album is probably the White Album. Yeah. Because I can look at it more as there's half of that album that I really like and half that I don't. But when there's like 25 songs on the album, like you're you you're okay to cut that in half. Yeah. And um, like you can forget the Wild Honey Pies in exchange for the Wild well, Honey Pies gently, gently weeps. I don't mind Wild Honey Pie. I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, it's that was weird. my alarm one morning. I had my I had my my iPod on shuffle, like on my radio when I was in like middle school or high school. And, uh-huh. and Wild Honey Pie was my alarm. It would it would shuffle songs, play a different song to wake me up every Amazing. morning. Amazing, and it was terrifying. Oh, that would wake you it right was up. So scary. So anyway, number five for me is Even If It Kills Me by Motion City Soundtrack. Hmm. Tell me more about them. I've never heard of them. Really? No. Motion City Soundtrack is a. Um, it's kind of like a a, a pop, so semi pop punk band, but they use a lot of Moog modular. Mm-hmm. So it's like guitars, bass, drums, and then like mono analog synth. Real mm-hmm. quirky. The lyrics are really weird. There's, um, and they're but they're like they're like nice little kind of. They're 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 romantic lyrics, but in like kind of a bizarre way. Like there's a song where she's like she's scared to death of 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 cobra snakes. Just like Indiana Jones, like that's a lyric in the, <laughs> in the song, and you're sort of like, okay, like, you know, not super poetic, yeah, but, but straightforward and and genuine, and that's what I love most about Even <laughs> If It Kills Me, and it puts on this sort of, um, puts on this sort of journey of like getting over a broken heart, um, which I think anyone can probably relate to, and exciting because Justin Pierre, who is their lead singer, Motion um, City soundtrack is no longer no longer together. But Justin Pierre, their lead singer, is coming out with his solo album, and he was like their lead song. He was their songwriter and everything like that. So we might be getting more Motion City soundtrack on October twelfth. So that's next month. It's uh, my dad's birthday. Yeah, yeah. My, it's the day after mine. There so. you go. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, me. I get some you more get Motion City soundtrack. Yeah, and, uh, First Man. And is that the name of that? No. Oh, is that? Oh, that that, that movie. The movie is coming out. Oh, that looks so good. And Damien also, Chazelle. Um, also, um, what is it? Like Bad Times at the. El, uh, El, El Royale. El Royale. Yeah, yeah that, looks that looks interesting good. too. I, I want to know that. what I'll, to expect. You know what? I'll that. go to any movie that has John Hammond except Tag. 
Yeah, Tam <laughs> tag was bad. We'll get we'll get to that another episode. Uh, number five for you. Uh, yeah. So what, I'm just gonna go. So how I listed oh, mine okay, was in. Yeah. So the first one on your list. Yeah. You. So how I listed mine just is like kind of my chronological uh, kind of discovery. So the first one is the one that I discovered least, you know, most in the past, and then the newest one is you know, the last one. I'll say is the most recent. So the my oldest uh, album that defines my tastes is uh, Rubber Soul by the Beatles. Uh, it's my favorite Beatles album, obviously. Uh, I think, you know, what's so interesting about the Beatles is they kind of have two distinct phases, and Rubber Soul's kind of the, um, you know, kind of the middle of the Venn diagram. Um, they have it's very straightforward songs. Uh, the song structures aren't all that, you know, fascinating. But what they do is they start experimenting with sounds a little more. Yeah, the emotions kind of get a little broader. They're not just you know you know, love me, do, and I want to hold your hand, but mm-hmm. it starts to become, you know, more interesting topics. Start to experiment with drugs a little bit. That's like their marijuana album. Yep. Uh, before they go on to harder stuff with yeah. the Revolver <laughs> and Sgt. Pepper. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's real interesting to listen to. It sounds beautiful and like nice headphones and a, and yeah. a stereo mix of the album. And I really love it. I, I mean, it has classics on it, like uh, In My Life and Michelle. Yeah. Uh, Our man. Nowhere Man, but uh, yeah, I mean, all of them. From t- Actually, first and last songs on those albums stink. I usually listen to- You don't like Drive My Car? I don't like Drive My Car. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, okay. I don't like Run For Your Life. That song did yeah, not that age well. Not, that song's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, tracks two through, you know, N minus one or whatever yeah. are, are amazing. So uh, that's that's my favorite Beatles album. I like that, that the Venn diagram kind of term. I always mm. looked at the- Rubber Soul is sort of the first of the studio, but now that I think about it in retrospect, it is kind of like the yeah, it is sort of that bridge between yeah. the two distinct Beatles eras. That's that's a really cool way of looking at it. All right, number four for me, unashamed, twenty four karat magic, Bruno <laughs> Nice. Um, this is an album that's just so much fun to listen to all the way through, and it's not long. It's eleven songs, and. Bought it the day it came out. I've seen Bruno Mars twice in concerts. It's the only person I've ever seen more than once. Hmm. Um, I don't see many concerts in general. So, mm-hmm. the, so the fact that I've, I want to go see Bruno Mars twice, um, and he just kills it. And he has so much fun, and he's got so much respect for everyone making music, it seems like. And it yeah. comes through in his songwriting and in his producing and in his arrangements of how much he loves music. And like some people say, well, he, he stole this song. Or, um, you know, this song sounds a lot like this, or, or it, there's too much, there's too much Michael Jackson, there's too much Prince, there's too much, there's that and not enough Bruno. And I think that's, it's rare to find someone who can take different sort of pieces of all these classic artists and contemporary artists. I mean, I think that's what I like is kind of like a Beyonce-esque kind of banger. There's not a whole lot of re- like retro or, or vintage, um, music there yeah um that's more of like a pop jam and that's like i think it shows his respect for like that part of music too um always a really diverse um listen are bruno mars albums mm-hmm. um i thought unorthodox jukebox is maybe a bit inconsistent with its with how um sort of spread out it was in terms of musical styles mm-hmm. uh, like you had a reggae song after like a sort of like a slow nightclub jam um <clears throat> piano ballad Mm-hmm. This one's a bit more cohesive, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I love twenty. I love twenty four karat magic. Yeah, yeah. I I can't say I've ever listened to the album, but I've definitely heard 
tracks of it on the radio, and yeah. you know, it's certainly something that is, you know, really fun to listen to. And it's one of those albums that, like, you maybe have probably heard uh, just listening to tracks on the radio. Yeah, because every be- song's a hit. Because every song's a hit. Yeah, and it's not just and like sometimes I think some songs become hits because it's Bruno Mars. Yeah, or it's insert you know number one artist yeah, here. It's Beyonce. But Bruno Mars, I think, generally creates really good original hits. Bruno Mars, the real deal. Yeah, I think he's absolutely the real deal. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely enjoy, uh, you know, hearing his stuff. I, you know, um, I think yeah, I think you know sometimes he'll he'll play on and I'll be like, oh, who is this? It sounds like Michael Jackson, like you said, but it's not Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's pretty clearly Bruno Mars. And I think that's. What's exciting is that we don't get Michael Jackson anymore. Yeah. I mean, may he rest in peace, and we don't get Prince anymore. Yeah. Someone's got to keep that stuff alive yeah. without and, having to revisit it. And like we were talking about pre, pre-recording pre is that, you know, people don't really continue to make good music too often when they're that age, when they're right. in their right. 50s. It's right. hard. It's hard to stay creatively, um, you know, fertile. Yeah. So cap. So you, if you're going to capture uh, like a 2008, well, this is 2016, I believe. Mm-hmm. A 2016 young Michael Jackson, like, you have to cling to that. Yeah. We're so lucky to have that still around. Yeah. Thriller's a good album. Thriller is a great album. <laughs> but, uh, you, but you come back to it, it's it's celebrating its 25th, 26th birthday now, yeah. I think, this year. So, you know, I would love to have more of Thriller. Sure. I mean, it's, that's probably the best compliment you can give an album is I wanted more of it. Yeah, that's and true. I think Bruno Mars always leaves you with that. All right, so my number four uh, it was uh, Illinois by Sufjan Stevens. Uh, this album is it's a you know Sufjan Stevens is a folk singer by trade, but his albums don't sound like folk music. It's not just a guitar and a voice. Sometimes, sometimes it is. Um, and this actually isn't my favorite Sufjan Stevens album, but this is the first one that I really you know kind of uh, grabbed onto as something that I really enjoyed. His uh, orchestration is just so massive on this album. Uh, the title track is a six-minute epic, uh, you know, with horn sections and strings, and it's and it's jaunty, but it's deep and dark and emotive, or emotional, I should say. You know, and it has you know it has jams on it like Chicago and that title track, but it also has you know really sad music like Casimir Belaski Day, which is a song about how you know his childhood love died of leukemia and it's real sad but it's it's beautiful and uh you know that's just it's just you know it's a long album it's it's yeah. it's uh i have it on vinyl and it's it's a double it's uh yeah. it's, and they have crazy song titles that are like 30 <laughs> words long okay, this and like is se- what okay. yeah and they're like seven seconds and it's just someone going woo, 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 and that's the <laughs> album or that's the song rather but um yeah it's beautiful his voice is angelic um, and it's, he's just as good live. I've seen him live and he is unbelievable. Um, yeah, I can't recommend Sufjan enough. His new album, his newest album, I should say, Carrie and Lowell is more of a guitar and, mm-hmm. and voice. Yeah, and it's the more folky one. Folksy. And, yeah. And it is real sad. That's why I didn't put it on here, yeah. even though it's my favorite one. Cause I think it's his most successful album Yeah, because it's beautiful and it's, you know, you could listen to that album and cry all day. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, I don't want to cry all day sometimes. So. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. You want, and, this is what you what you want to revisit, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, Illinois. I've I've listened to it probably. Th- it's a. I mean, it's a commitment to listen to all the way through. So yeah. I listen to it on road trips. Yeah, I will um, listen to pieces of it. Often. It's always an excellent um, journey um, from a road trip. It's almost like a musical audio book. Yeah. Um, which 
about uh, Illinois, which, which I've always been a fan of about Illinois. Yeah. So if you're going to drive through like rural in Illinois when there's nothing <laughs> there, like if you want to yeah. appreciate it a little bit more, put on put on Illinois. Yeah, Suvion had this fake uh, states project that he was doing where he was like going to make an album for every state, and it was a joke. He didn't. He did Michigan, and then he did <laughs> I was Illinois. Say, I'm pretty sure he did and that's two. It. That's yeah, it. Okay. And uh, yeah, actually, funny story. There's a my college. We have a scavenger hunt every year, and it's like. You know, this crazy like 300 list items 300 uh item list full of like things you have to find things you have to make that kind of thing and one of them was make the artwork the album artwork and the track listing and one song from the album from Sufjan Stevens latest album Florida <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun <laughs> I think we had something about like key lime pie or yeah, oh, some sure. arts fair and, oh, yeah sure. it's fun I, just, I have you know I have uh I have Illinois on my iTunes. I'm just looking at it. almost every song title has an ellipsis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it doesn't fit. Yeah, and and so you just recognize them by like the first three words. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yo, that's so, a good choice. Thank you. What's your number three? Number three for me is also a musical audiobook, but one that's a bit um, larger scale. Um, this is it's Act Four, Rebirth and Reprise by the Deer Hunter. So the deer hunter is the brainchild of Casey Crescenzo, and he now has a band. But the first two um, acts, Act Act One and Act Two, um, were recorded like in his basement. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, <clears throat> I would say, it's like a progressive rock album, but there's lots of orchestra, um, lots of vocal harmonies. Like the opening track is entirely a cappella, um, and it's just super musically ambitious, but also accessible. I think that's my favorite sort of blend of of two aspects of music is when you can make something that's really sort of experimental and ambitious and maybe a little bit out there, but also have it be like where you could hear potentially one of these songs on the radio and be like, this isn't the weirdest thing I've heard on the radio, um, which is cool. Um, the Deer Hunter, awesome stuff. They also have an album um, that's called The Color Spectrum. I think it's 36 tracks, and it's like a collection of six EPs. Um, and each EP is based off a different color. Oh, um, interesting. So, like, all the music is, like, <clears throat> so like the first one's black. And so Casey, Casey Crescenzo wrote songs that he felt embodied the color black or, like, identified with the color black. Hmm. And they all have different genres. So black is, like, very nine-inch nailsy, And yellow is, like, very kind of California rock. And orange is very blues rock. And... I think it's indigo that's kind of electronical and ambient. Hmm. Um, and white, white is very like, almost like Goo Goo Dolls-y contemporary rock. But all that, it's super ambitious and, and always dealing with like high concept, um, high concept pop music, which I think is really, yeah, I think is really exciting. Definitely recommend you look up all, all five acts. I mean, I've done it, I've done it um, in a road trip before. Um, it's a, like five and a half hours of music. Wow. Um, so maybe spread it out, but like the story is not a hundred percent palpable. Yeah. But like in this particular act, um, this main character has met his, in the, in act three, the main character goes to war and meets his half brother who like looks identical. His half brother dies, but he, but the main character has nothing to go back to. So the main, so the half brother is like, take my life. So this is almost him like starting over. Oh, um, like posing, posing as his identical half brother. Right. Um, so a lot of that's awesome. So this is like an actually a decent one to start at almost yeah. because it's you don't miss a whole lot of the story because 
um, he, the character himself is kind of starting over. That's Hence cool. The title Rebirth and Reprise. It's like it's like a it's not a concept album. It's bigger than that. It's like a concept series. Yeah. Comes. And Act Six is coming out, but we don't know what sort of medium it's hmm. going to be. Oh, could it be like a movie or something? Maybe. Whoa. We don't know. Cool. Yeah. So Casey Crescenzo is kind of a an artistic freak and really awesome. Nice. So my number three, it came out in 2013. Uh, it was very popular uh, when I went to college. I went to uh, UChicago down in uh, Hyde Park in Chicago. And uh, this is from a then local rapper. Um, you know, he was not a big name. Guess who? <laughs> <laughs> Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is Acid Rap by Chance the Rapper. Uh, this and actually the aforementioned Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy were kind of the first two rap albums that I really enjoyed. I didn't grow up with it. Um, you know, it wasn't really big in, in our high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I I didn't really grow up with it. So going to college, I think that's kind of what it's all about is learning new things and getting new perspectives. And I think uh, acid rap is kind of it almost exemplifies that for me in music along with the next album that I'm going to pick. Acid rap is amazing. It's uh, Chance is a singular voice. And by the time we get, um, oh, wow, Coloring Book. By the time we get Coloring Book, he's kind of a different person. Mm. Uh, so for I know for a lot of uh, my friends, it, it was almost like a different artist. Because Acid Rap, we, we kind of all were his age going through uh, not the same things, but kind of the same uh, points in our lives. And uh, it's just a fun listen. He's funny. He's got an, a crazy voice. His, he's lyrically ambitious. Yeah. Um, it's it's such a great listen. If you can, the first time I listened to it, I didn't like his voice, and you know I kind of kept listening and kept listening, kept hearing it everywhere, and 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 you just get into it, and it's phenomenal. I mean, that's one that's one of those with top to bottom. Every song on that album is just great. So yeah, that's like my I, number three. One thing I loved about Chance and also Kendrick Lamar does this a little bit is Kendrick's music. When you when you talk about um, his voice, like I, th- I feel like Chance like explores so many different parts of his voice when he's either singing, or rapping, or speaking mm-hmm. that he can almost like sound like three different artists on one track. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what happened when I listened to, to, uh, to Pimp a Butterfly the first time when I was listening to Kendrick Lamar. And I was like, is this all him? Yeah. And like, it sort of is. Well, like, and, and, and with Pimp a Butterfly, he was doing characters too. Yeah. For sure. Um, and the same thing I think happens a little bit with, with Coloring Book. I mean, you can at least hear it in, um, um, what is it, All We Got? Yeah. You can hear him the first really, song? yeah, you can hear him really change like vocal tone. Mm-hmm. within the song which i think within the hip-hop realm which has always sort of been more rhythmic mm-hmm. and more um i don't want to say static but yeah. but format wise and, and 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 performance wise it's always been a bit more static yeah i think or, it's or not necessarily multi-dynamics like you, you um a lot of a lot of older rap doesn't show as much emotion in the voice yeah, yeah it's not as singy yeah. or and it doesn't even have to be singy but like chance shows emotion in his rapping yeah. which is cool and kendrick really did an cool. amazing job of that on uh on both good kid mad city and Tim butterfly yeah. and damn and section 80 his <laughs> he's great um yeah so that's my number three i love yeah. chance though um, i didn't mean to make the conversation about kendrick but those are two i mean i thought those are two artists who i think are really sort of like I mean, heading this mm-hmm. hip hop revival of like, let's go back to using analog, yeah, that's um, true. Like horn sections and 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 the formatting a song to make it 
some almost like different parts. Yeah. Instead of just being like, okay, let's put a beat down and let's like let's get a nice, yeah, like producers that like make beats. They're yeah. going they're going one step further than that. Maybe they're going four steps further than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my number three. He's two. He's the second of the three artists that I've seen on my list. So. Wow. Yeah. So number two for me is an album called Go Farther in Lightness by Gang of Youths. It's an Australian band. Came out uh, in 2000, February 2017. So not not, not too old. Um, and uh, this is actually an album that I found while reading music criticism. Um I'm, I go on Sputnik Music a lot to read my music criticism because you get you get they have a staff and they have contributors and they have users, so you always get sort of different perspectives on on one single thing instead of it being like one score, mm-hmm. like a Pitchfork or a Rolling Stone might have, with, where someone is like this is a two star album, but somebody else might say it's a five star album. And right. Sputnik does a pretty good job of making sure that the 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 more accomplished writers get noticed, but you always have the option to look at the comments where they can also leave a score. And say, you know, great review, didn't love this part of it. And then a lot of times the reviewers themselves will comment back and say, and and, and, and communicate with the community about what this album was about. But yeah. um, Go Farther in Lightness got a five out of five. and um, Must be good. It, well, yeah, <laughs> that's sort of my mindset was must be good. <laughs> and, um, and I listened to the first couple songs on YouTube because I mm-hmm. couldn't find it anywhere else. Um, and... Immediately, it was like this sort of. They're very anth- It's like it's like Americana, which is sort of weird to say because it's an Australian band, but um, Australiacana. But yeah, yeah. But um, like folk rock anthems, and it's all about like wanting to live, like as a young person. Hmm. And so, um, once I listened to it, I'm, I'm I drive down to Denison once, which is about two and a half hours. This is an album that you should probably listen to in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, so find a a point in time where you're going to be not too distracted for about 70, 80 minutes of time. Which oh, it's is like one. me driving down to Denison is like, yeah. I'm on the, I'm on 71 for an hour and a half. Um, and the last song comes on, it's called say yes to life. And at the end, um, the singer starts screaming and I can't pronounce his last name. It's like David Laupep. Um, it's got an apostrophe and an AU and oh. a couple of P's. And I'm like, well, I just, I'm <laughs> don't try. I know I'm butchering this. And yeah. I took, I took French. Yeah. I don't know how, it's been sort of anglicized. Um, I wouldn't have even recognized it as French, so uh, good for you. Eh, well, whenever there's an apostrophe and an AU, you're, okay. you're, in, you're in pretty good shape. That's with true. French. That's true. Um, and he says, uh, say yes to sun, say yes to pain, say yes to sticking with the city through a thousand days of rain. Um, he goes on to say, um, say yes to you, say yes to me, say yes to love, say yes to life. And he's like viscerally screaming it, like pleading for his audience to be like, keep living, mm-hmm. you know, even when life is shit. It's worth living. Um, and I was in my car just sobbing. Because this was also around the time that um, uh, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. And so the whole line about sticking with the city through a thousand days of rain. Because mm-hmm. I was like, man, that was written like a year ago probably. But it came out now. And I'm like, what a time for that to happen. What a time for that. And it's amazing. I wow. Would... Do you have any attachment to Houston? No, not at all. You just felt bad for the city? I just I just imagine like, a city like drowning in rain and someone being like, I still want to be here mm. or I, you know, I, this is not nearly bad enough for me to want to not live anymore. That's for, yeah. Yeah. I would probably leave Cleveland if it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, my number two is, uh, it's a classic 2012, I want to say album, uh, from the one and only Frank Ocean. It's channel orange. Mm. Um, 
I've not seen Frank Ocean. I would like to, but I hear he's uh, kind of a recluse. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Channel Orange is, is just this phenomenal album. You know, just from top to bottom, it's his voice is unparalleled, I think, in today's uh, kind of music. His, he, you know, he's a great songwriter, of course. He, he ghostwrites for a lot of, uh, you know, radio hits and that kind of thing. Um, so his songwriting and his voice are, are ridiculous. And, and, and he's also a guy who will put in different sounds and different styles on his album. So if you look at uh, Super Rich Kids, which is more of a straight, you know, pop and, and rap song, yeah. uh, or Pyramids, which is like a 10-minute long epic in the middle of the album. It's so random. And, um, you know, and then you got... Um, it closes with him uh, kind of coming out as as a as a bi uh, singer and rapper, yeah. uh, which was which was huge at the time, um, you know, c- because that is kind of unprecedented. So it was pretty amazing. He's an amazing uh, artist and an amazing uh, songwriter. And uh, one other thing that I really like about him is he's full of movie references, which is kind of cool. Oh. Once you. Uh, you dig a little deeper. One of the classic line in in Sweet Life, which is an early song on the album, is uh, "Living in Ladera Heights, the Black Beverly Hills," which yeah. is from the nineteen ninety two Tarantino movie Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> uh, he has a song and near the end of the album called "Forrest Gump," which is all about um, you know the movie Forrest Gump, but from Jenny's perspective. Oh, um, okay. So cool. yeah, really interesting. Lots of good movie references. And just a beautiful listen. His. Yeah. Uh, if you the first real song on the album is "Thinking About You," mm-hmm. and his voice is just so high, but it's still so strong, um, just really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Channel Orange isn't one that I've explored nearly enough. Um, a lot of the sort of bits I've heard from it make it maybe a bit too um, passive a listen for my tastes. You um, should try and listen I should, actively. Yeah, um, I, I just I, I mean there wasn't a lot there that was like attention grabbing. Hmm. Um, it was a lot more of like a soundscape with hmm. some words than um, like an arrangement of a song, but maybe that's just like my limited exposure to it. In fact, I'm sure it is. Cause it's such a, I mean, everyone loves this thing. Yeah. And um, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not an oppositionalist and like, I don't not like it cause I don't, like it I, ha- I honestly haven't been exposed to it maybe mm. nearly enough as i as i should have been yeah we'll sit you down put some nice headphones on you and... well, there was a point in time when which when i was writing this album was like i focused so much on music that i was going to want my album to sound like yeah and now that that is over with i've my palette has really expanded and mm. i'm a bit behind huh in okay a lot of ways okay um, like from 2016 to 2018 I missed a lot because I was like, is this going to help me write my own album? And a lot of hip hop was not there. I mean, yeah. Fit that category of it's not going to help. Yeah. I can't see you rapping. Good. I don't. It's not good. I can't see you rapping. I don't want to hear you rapping. Okay. So you can't. Okay. Understood. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Number one for me, um, which is. If you know me, I love this album. It's Astoria by Mariana's Trench, Hmm. a Canadian band. Another, it's not by the body of water. No, it's not by the body of water. Um, it's uh, man, it's so good. Um, so what this is, is it? Of, I don't know. It. So it's it's a pop rock. It's like an arena pop rock album. Hmm. Um, so Queenish. Yes, there's a lot of Queen in there. Um, but like greatest hits Queen, because I think people say like, oh, that sounds like Queen, and I'm like, you have not listened to all of News of the World or Sheer Heart Attack all the way through, because Queen is weird. Queen is weird. It's like Queen Proggy. Is, 
Queen is hard to follow sometimes. I mean, you can listen to like classic Queen mm-hmm. and have a great time because it's all their like hit singles. Yeah. But if you listen to like a Night at the Opera, a Day at the Races, or any of those two albums I mentioned before, yeah, they're sometimes weird and tough to get through. Uh, my favorite Queen album, like as an album, is some kind of magic because it's like eighties pop. Um, and it's consistently all the way through 80s pop. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm with you. I don't love any songs off of it, but like as a front-to-end listen for Queen. Yeah. Um, so a story is very Queenie, very greatest hits Queenie. Um, and it's it's cool because it's like the last of like an album trilogy for them. They released Masterpiece Theater and then Ever After, and then this Astoria is kind of like the bookend. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a bridge in one of the songs called uh, Dearly Departed, which goes back through and names like almost... And the entire bridge lyrics consist of song titles from the last two albums. And so you all, it's, it feels very um, cumulative, very culminatory. That's really cool. Um, and the, the first song and the last song kind of like bookend this album. There's like some Whitney Houston pop jams and um, really kind of like crunchy funk guitar work. I mean, it just it's really fun to listen to. There's one song that sounds like a Jackson 5 song. Hmm. There's a lot of like retro pop music in there. Um, and, um, yeah, really, really fun to listen to. I mean, just an, a, like a love letter to 80s arena pop. Kenny Loggins, Whitney Houston, like I said, Michael Jackson. I mean, so much. And it's so much fun. Yeah. And I can listen to it all the way through. They also have the um, Toronto Cinematic Orchestra with them. Yeah. And there's five um, tracks that are just like musical interludes, but with like a 35-piece orchestra, which is really cool, too. Um, yeah. I've, I always love, you know, more musicians, the better on an album, in my opinion. So Nice. So if I had to sum up your uh, your taste in music, you really love the, the kind of the history of pop music. I do. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think the music that <laughs> I, yeah I, I I like pop music. I like music that um, people tend to like to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, not that things that are more um, you know experimental or or um, maybe inaccessible mm-hmm. aren't, aren't worthwhile because I listen to that a lot too. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of these these five albums to me like really capture the musically advanced and knowledgeable and um, like these musicians that really know like what they're doing when they make their music. Right. Combined with the pop music sort of formula of like mm-hmm. some of these songs have four chords in them, but like melodically or um, arrangement wise, they're different enough where it's like there's no other pop music that's like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's always where I am. And I, I always love influence. Like mm-hmm. whenever I can hear another artist, another artist's work, especially one that was 20 years, their senior, mm-hmm. I think that's always really cool. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I just Googled greatest pop singers of all time. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. I'm going to read you a name and I want you to give me a five second opinion. Oh boy. Of what okay. You like okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Michael Jackson. Um, unreal. I mean, he was such a performer. Mariah Carey washed up but like pretty good but like i mean she had some really great things in like the late 90s or 2000s but elvis presley i mean king of rock i mean there's a lot there's there's a lot of elvis in 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 bruno mars as well um but a lot of innovators in terms of pop music artists whitney houston vocalists whitney houston's the best i mean she has such good vocal ability but also she wrote and she and she had so many fun songs like i want to answer somebody is probably like one of my favorite songs of all time whitney houston madonna yeah once again haven't heard a lot from her in a while okay um her first album killer yeah and i think <laughs> madonna is like i really don't like uh holiday mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. so there's 
always throw, there's like some black marks for me with Madonna. It's like mm-hmm. some songs I just really don't like. Her Bond theme is terrible. <laughs> I don't remember it. Good. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. All right. So my uh, my final one, since I went chronologically, I thought it'd be kind of fun to to my last one to be the album that I've been listening to a lot most recently. Cool. And that's uh, "Be the Cowboy" by this uh, indie rock singer named Mitski. Um, she's amazing. She um, she's first and foremost a lyricist. Her her her. You know, I've listened to several interviews with her, and I've seen her live. And I'm going to try and go to Chicago and see her again on this tour for this new album. And, you know, she she really is a lyricist. She talks about kind of love and, and, and sadness that comes with love and, and relationships and personal growth that comes out of it. And, um, you know, so her, her kind of breakout album was Puberty 2, which, you know, it's Puberty 2. It's, you know, growing up as an adult and, yeah. and growing through love. Um, and then this album, Be the Cowboy, is, um, you know, it's kind of like she's kind of you know, alone on the dance floor and it's 14 different versions of her. This is 11. I forget how many songs are on the album, (laughs) but it's a short album. It's like 32 minutes. Yeah. And it's just like different versions of her in different situations, uh, kind of in, in terms of romance. And and so there's a song, me and my husband, that's about, you know, working out a marriage. And there's a song called nobody that's about kind of obviously like loneliness and, and that's kind of like a disco song. Whereas me and my husband's more of like a pop rock song. And, um, you know, she just explores lots of different genres and different kind of personas in this new album. And it's just really captivating. I think the first time I heard it, I was like, Oh, this next song is my favorite. Oh my God. This next song is my favorite. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And every song going through, it's like, Oh my God, this is so good. So yeah, I, I love this album and, um, you know, I probably, you know, I don't want to call it ahead of time, but it's probably my album of the year already. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Mitski, Be the Cowboy. Sometimes yeah. you know. Yeah. Like, Go Farther and Lightness came out February of 17, and I was like, this is my favorite album of the year. Yeah. And nothing ever surpassed it, because I and, just knew. And that's how this is going to be for me, too. Yeah. Anyway, I think we should take a break real I, quick. I, I agree. Yeah. I Let's have take to a break. the bathroom. Me, too. Okay. <laughs> and then and then we'll uh, take a break, and then we'll finish with uh, movies and TV. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. be fun. All right, we're back, uh, five pounds lighter, and uh, ready to go on with the uh, top five uh, movies and TV show. I'm going to go first on this one because I cheated. I yeah. did six because I'm an asshole. That's okay. Um, it's tough. It is tough. It's, why why do we roll the movies out there? Yeah, and TV shows. And I'm more yeah. of a TV guy than you. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of... I, I, I kind of said... Um, I have a little preamble thing that... And just talking about, like, you know, the history and legacy of movies is so much vaster than TV mm-hmm. that it's hard to say like oh these TV shows are better than these movies or these TV shows are are more um, impactful than yeah. movies because you know we're kind of seeing the beginning of like TV being a serious medium um, so so I, I wanted to do multiple TV shows so that's why I went with six because I didn't think it was fair to do only three movies um, so that's that's what I did and, 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 and kind of just an overall theme of my uh, my my definition of my taste. I really love character driven things. I really you know I like plot, uh, but character driven is the most important thing. And uh, I like comedic elements in my things. This is going to be interesting because I have all plot. Oh, interesting. So yeah. our tastes are very different. Yeah. Okay. That's so exciting. My honorable mention TV shows are Seinfeld, Thirty Rock, You're the Worst, Parks and Rec, The Good Place, Breaking Bad, and Fargo. 
And my honor men- honorable mention movies are Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Goodwill Hunting, Boogie Nights, A Serious Man, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Goodfellas, Boyhood, Birdman, The Prestige, Inside Out, and lots more that I didn't want to keep reading. Okay. So that's all of my honorable mentions. And we'll start with number six, which is a TV show. It's an HBO show that ended a couple years ago, uh, known as The Leftovers. It is about this uh, mysterious world. Uh, it mimics our world, except on a fateful day in October of 2013, I believe. Um, 2% of the world's population disappears, <clears throat> and it's never explained. Uh, you never really understand it. It's just It just is. And it's sort of about how its characters and the members of this world interact with it and deal with this and and grieve and yeah and and it's amazing it's profound but it's uh it's not mythological it's it's mysterious but it's not they're not trying to explain anything um yeah it's a little heavy-handed sometimes i mean Mm -hmm. in the first season they have this like cult of people who just dress in white and smoke cigarettes and don't talk because they think the end is nigh uh, so they're just kind of expressing that in that way. So that's a little heavy-handed, but it, it's emotionally devastating at its best. Um, and it's amazing. And it exposed me to one of my favorite actors right now, Carrie Coon. She's phenomenal. She is potentially, her performance in The Leftovers is potentially my favorite performance that anyone has ever done, ever. Wow. She's amazing. She is super humanistic. She deals with these weighty, weighty subjects with a subtle touch and it's believable and she's a real person and it's it's amazing. She yeah. she's she's really beautiful but she looks like a real person. Mm-hmm. She doesn't look like a like a movie star. She's amazing. I love her. I adore her. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my number it's on, it's on my list now. Nice. That's if, if nothing else we'll get some we'll get that out of each other. <laughs> yeah, um, there we go. So, a uh, couple things with my movies that I just want to get out of the way first. Um, there's a there's a pattern here. That um, I'm not super proud of, um, maybe a little bit embarrassed by. Um, all five of my favorite movies, and I did pick all movies um, in terms of TV tastes. Like I love Game of Thrones, but who doesn't? Yeah. Um, I love the first four seasons of The Walking Dead. Um, I like Breaking Bad. Who doesn't? Um, I'm getting into AMC's Turn, Washington Spies, which hmm. I'll come back to when I talk about one of these other movies. Hmm. Um, but all five of my favorite movies are directed by men, mm-hmm. um, white men, mm-hmm. and. Um, Feature mostly male casts. I believe mine are too in terms of the direction of the movies. And um, I don't know, just a, a disclaimer, I suppose. It's got nothing to do with like the the director. The the way that the director looks has nothing to do with the movie. Nor is it the casts of like right. mostly men that draw that draw me to them. Right. Like like I said, I'm very plot driven. Right. Um, so. These movies, I think, are exceptionally well written, mm-hmm. exceptionally well executed, well acted, and um, I think they define my taste the best. And I wanted to be objective in that, yeah. But and also recognize that that is a potentially problematic pattern that I would love to work on, and, and hopefully we get more out of each other doing that. And if I may, I I also would say, you know, I think mine are mine are that way too. My directors uh, or the showrunners are are white men, yeah. And um, you know, I think that's you know partially. We picked our favorite things, and these are things we've uh, adored and grown up with, and and many of them are older or things we watched when we were younger. And I think it's partially, you know, certainly we're not blameless. Um, and I and I and there are plenty of movies by by women. I almost put Lady Bird on this list. Uh, I love Lady Bird, uh, and there are plenty of movies uh, by people of color that 
that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think it's as much an indictment of the film industry, what it has been in the past and still is in a lot of regards. Right. Um, and it's partially, uh, you know, on us. So I just yeah. wanted to get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, so without further ado, I should also issue, issue a sort of um, uh, a trigger warning, I suppose. Two of my movies feature an uh, unfortunate casting choice. Um, Kevin Spacey is in two of these five movies. Um, I I apologize for that. I think it would be unfair to everyone to disregard the movies as as they were, um, based on yeah. one man's. A lot of people worked on them. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people were affected by them as well. Can I guess the two? No. Okay. Because number five is Baby Driver. Oh wow, that I is very love recent. Baby Driver, two thousand seventeen. Edgar Wright, one of my, yeah. one of my favorite directors. Um, so what I did with this list is I picked. Um, four out of the five are directors that I will go see their – well, three out of the five, I should say, are directors that I'll, I'll go see their movie no yeah. matter what. Um, they're, they're that I'm, – I'm that big of a fan of them. I love their style. Um, I love the way that they, they think. They write movies. Um, so Edgar Wright's one of those three. Um, this movie is so slick. It's got so many like um, – I'm not, I'm, I'm not a film person. I don't yeah. know a whole lot about the making of film. But this has so many – palpable nuances that are really cool that makes me feel like I'm a genius for noticing them but I think they're like really out like they're really out there like for instance there's a point where um uh, baby has one earphone in mm-hmm. and the music is only coming through the right side of the stereo right um stuff like that that's yeah that's it, cool there's Watch. a gunfight synced up to tequila like mm-hmm. it's so cool it's so choreographed it is in a so good way. choreographed and and the sound editing is so good the, I mean, the opening tracking shot for the, during the opening credits mm-hmm. where like the lyrics of the song are coming up on like the graffiti on the walls mm-hmm. i eat that up mm-hmm. um, ensemble cast is amazing mm-hmm. super colorful and mm-hmm. i mean that in terms of like everyone has like a sort of color assigned mm-hmm. to them and the way that edgar wright visually tells a story without dialogue there's plenty of dialogue in this movie but the way he's able to tell a story through the visuals, mm-hmm. um, while also being like a cool action movie, like a cool summer action movie. That was um, good. That's to me like when I say I love music that combines like advanced music theory or knowledge with like pop culture music, like pop mm-hmm. music. Baby Driver is sort of that in movie form. Like there's a lot of advanced technique going on here, but it's super digestible. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a blockbuster movie. Yeah. It made, made money, if I remember yeah. correctly, and it was, it was amazing. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah, John Hamm. I'll see anything John except Hamm. tag with John Hamm. <laughs> um, yeah, good choice. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and that was so. That was not to go back and dwell on that thing, but that was that was right when kind of those allegations were coming out. And, a little and, bit. Yeah. It was um, a few months before. Yeah, I know that around DVD time was when it was coming out. Yeah. So anyway, my number five is uh, it's uh, the Big Lebowski. Coen Brothers. Um, I love this movie. It is every character in it's extremely memorable. I can quote a line from all of them. Uh, my particular favorites are obviously Walter and Donnie and the dude, but I also love Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. Uh, I love Jesus, which is John Turturro, and he's hilarious. Uh, and I love Sam Elliott, the cowboy narrator. Um, the movie takes place in the early '90s, and it came out in the late '90s, which I love. I love that the movie came out five years, you know, it, it, it came out five years after it takes place, which is yeah. so funny and random. Uh, yeah, every every character has these memorable moments, you know, Walter smashing in the car uh, of this little kid, not this kid, but this teenager, uh, you know, telling Donnie to shut the fuck up. Um, and, you know, the dude with his weird, like, 
Reagan economics, even though he's like this hippie guy uh, in the rug. And oh my god, it's it's just so it, it, it's so fun, and it makes fun of the industry. The film industry obviously makes fun of porn, and it and it kind of makes fun of itself. It knows what it is the whole time. Yeah, um, I love that movie. Jeff Bridges is amazing. Um, yeah, that's a and 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 Jeff Bridges was kind of. In his heyday, in his early days, he was kind of like a heartthrob dude, and yep. and and now after this kind of changed the course of his career. He's like always playing washed up guys now. Yeah, yeah, because he that's how he looks, and yeah. that's what you <laughs> want to associate with the dude. Yeah, he's completely washed up. He goes to the grocery store and like his boxers and a bathrobe. It's amazing. That might be a movie that we should do for um for an episode because I saw it once and I didn't love it. Oh really? Yeah, we yeah. should totally do that. Um, Number four for me, if if that's okay, we'll move on. Yeah, yeah. Number four for me is Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. Um, Steven Spielberg. Um, I so going back to Turn Washington Spies. I love historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Actually, I guess Turn is sort of literary nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, did you like Dunkirk? I did. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Upon second viewing, I like Dunkirk. Okay. Um, we can we, we can come back. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, the costuming in this movie is so good. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is so good, and the cast. This cast is nuts. Like, the main cast has, like, Hanks and and Damon. And, like, uh, Diesel, Sizemore. Tom Sizemore was, like, on his way out. Ed Burns was third build in this movie, which, Diesel. Is, which is absurd. Vin? Um, yeah, Wasn't Vin yeah, in there? Yeah, Vin Diesel, but he, he he's, not in a, he's not in it for very long. Yeah. Who else? Uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, yeah. Uh, Barry Pepper. I don't know what that guy looks like. I forget who played Stanley Mellish, but... Ted Danson's in this movie. Paul Giamatti's <laughs> in this movie. Oh, Nathan Fillion is in this movie. Oh, really? All for like five minutes apiece. That's amazing. This is a horror movie. I mean, this movie is, this is the first movie that I was ever like really afraid of mm-hmm. that didn't have like monsters cutting people's yeah. heads off and eating them. Well, you hear about that opening scene. The opening scene is, is I mean, it's so riveting, but it's gut-wrenching. And then there's the scene where Upham is looking through the... They, they attack the uh, the machine gun emplacement, and he's looking through the scope, and you're like, you're going to get blown up. Like, this is – it makes you feel like an absolute fish out of water, which mm-hmm. I think is the best way to do a war movie. Um, I like Hacksaw Ridge enough, but I think a movie about pacifism like Hacksaw Ridge, um, and a, sort of an anti-war movie, was very dependent on violence and being like, yeah, war. Yeah. Um, so this Spielberg movie, like, they're doing – they're saving James Ryan because of a publicity stunt. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, they all have this duty to their country, and they all think it's bullshit that they have to do this, but mm-hmm. they all do it anyway. Some of them die. Most of them die. I think all of them die. Tom and, Hanks and, dies. And, uh, spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler, yeah. Sorry, spoiler <laughs> for a movie that came out 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, we're spoiling all these movies, by the way. I don't care. Um, Hanks dies. Sizemore dies. Um, Mellish dies. Up, um, the, half of them die. I think it's a, it's a solid half. Does Vin die? Vin dies early. That's why I was. Oh, that's not, right. He gets sniped with the like the little kid, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. He gets sniped in like the middle of a rainy churchyard. So this movie is like really long, but it puts you so. I mean, it's very gray and mm-hmm. green, and I love those color palettes in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'll bring them up in my next movie too. Mm-hmm. But um, Saving Private Ryan, I think, is right up my alley in terms of like historical and the way that they went after capturing the time period. I think yeah. it's really amazing. Now here's a question for you. Uh, a lot of people have a criticism of that movie that I've heard very often. And it's the uh, very beginning and very end with the old man in the Arlington national cemetery. It's people Spiel- make fun that's of that. Spielberg. Okay. You don't, you don't mind it. Spielberg's going to Spielberg every movie he ever makes. Okay. Um, I think 
he's going to try and put some like strange message in at the end that doesn't really fit. And I think you have to look at it as more than it's than more than like the beginning and the end or mm-hmm. in in this case the beginning and the end, but in some cases it's just the end mm-hmm. where he throws a sort of like theme in or like a mo- like a motive mm-hmm. and it's just not there. Yeah. You didn't love when old ET went over and saw his friend's grade? No. <laughs> no. Um yeah, good choice. Good choice. Um yeah, my number four is uh, is a 1994 classic, which is a great year for movies. It's not Forrest Gump. It's not Shawshank Redemption. It's not Quiz Show. It's Pulp Fiction. Oh. Pulp Fiction. Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. Um, I had to put a Tarantino movie on here because, um, you know, he's certainly not my favorite director. At this point in my movie-watching fandom, but right when I was starting to get into movies, like, Quentin Tarantino's, like, the guy because he is such a movie guy himself. You know, mm-hmm. he... Basically steals from a bunch of B movies and makes it, you know, with a great budget and 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 writes an unbelievable dialogue, just insanely interesting and weird and funny dialogue. Uh, particularly Samuel L. Jackson in this movie um, and in a lot of his movies. Um, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson is one of the most memorable characters in this movie. Jules, uh, Jules Winfield. Um, he's he's potentially one of the most memorable characters of you know, American film in the last 20, 25 years. Um, I guess 25, because it was 94. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I used to know, like, the whole path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the weak and the tyranny of evil men. I used to have that all th- that whole thing memorized. So I've seen this movie probably, you know, if not the most, one of the most of any movie I've ever seen. It changed movies from there on out. Movies weren't showing heroin overdoses. They yeah. weren't showing... You know that kind of violence, um, and 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 without it, so many movies, you know, from the last twenty five years don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's got. I mean, I talk about Jules Winfield, but all the characters are real interesting, and uh, it's an interesting mode of storytelling too. It's a series of vignettes, and I think if that movie was told in kind of a straightforward format, it would not be nearly as memorable or successful or interesting. So it, it's, uh, it, you know, it's an interesting mode of storytelling, but also, you know, fascinating fascinating characters i think so. that's why maybe i don't love it um i what? like the tarantino movies that have a bit more of a like a beginning middle end okay um big fan of django yeah django's great but django has multiple parts too i mean it's told chronologically yeah. but like the first half of django is a completely different movie than yeah. the second half of django yeah so i like i think Django's probably my favorite tarantino movie that i've seen okay um have you seen bastards no. Oh, Inglorious. Oh, Bastards. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. I've seen Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, once again, one of those movies that I. He's an in, yeah. He's an interesting director. Yeah. Um, and maybe one that I haven't quite. I think it's an acquired taste. Maybe mm-hmm. one that I haven't quite acquired yet because I haven't done the work to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, little vignettes, and I'm always more of like a. Like yeah, a, you love a big yeah. plot. Yeah. Um, so on that note, big plot number three for me is seven. Okay. Stylized as Sesevenin. <laughs> yeah, that's Directed true. by David Fincher, who's one of the directors that I'll go see his movie, whatever Me too. he's making. I love Fincher. Um, Is it your favorite Fincher movie? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, because I think it's the most Fincher movie of the Fincher movies. What about Zodiac? Zodiac is good, but I don't think it's as dark as this one. I like, Zodiac a, I like Zodiac Oh, they're both about serial lot. killers. Yeah. Who am I kidding? What about, I like Zodiac uh, a lot. What about Social Network? Social Network, I think, is the least Fincher of the Fincher movies, which I is why it's, but it's so good, which is what I think 
cemented him as like one of my favorite directors was watching the social network and being like, Oh, you can do a movie that's not about serial killers and <laughs> like crazy like plots happening. Yeah. And then he went back to serial killers for Netflix. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is a I loved the first season. I haven't watched of, it. It's good. Of, uh, yeah. Mindhunter? Mindhunter. And I was thinking of Headhunters and I was like, no, it's not it. Mindhunter's good. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm meaning to watch it. Yeah, very David Finchery. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to Seven. Yeah, Seven. Serial killer movie, as you said. Um, it's really gory, but it's never shown. I can't do gore very well, so this is like right up my alley of like hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued by all these killings that John Doe does, but you never see any of them happen. You see one happen. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, so sort of two, if you count The Seventh Deadly Sin. Yeah. But that I counts. Loved, I loved the the plot of it. I mean, the, this guy's killing based on the seven deadly sins. I think yeah. that's like, it's so messed up. Yeah. But I, I'm right there. I'm so, movie. I'm so engrossed in it. And yeah. The finale is just haunting. Yeah. Another Kevin Spacey movie, but I don't think he makes that character. I think the oh, character is supremely well written. Yeah. And it sort of becomes this like, who done it until John Doe comes in and it's like, it's me. Yeah. And you're like, what, 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 like what happens now? Yeah. And I think, the fact that it's able to still blow your mind after the entire mystery is solved and yeah. there's still like 35, 40 minutes left in this movie mm-hmm. and there's still, and that it still has more to say in terms of pacing. I think it's yeah, definitely one of my favorite movies and definitely like fits my, fits my tastes. Mm-hmm. Well, Spacey also is uncredited in that because he's not a main part of that yeah, movie until it's, the end. It's a Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman movie. Well, I, I heard that he decided not to Planet be Culture. in the, opening credits or whoever decided to put yeah, him out. No, he's uncredited. Well, he's in the... Is he in the, he's, he's, in the, the he's in the closing credits. credits. I oh, believe really? he's the first okay. name up. Oh, um, interesting. Because they didn't... They were like, where's, they didn't want Kevin Spacey huh. to be on the opening credits and then the whole movie they say, well, where's Kevin Spacey? Right. Um, good point. So, seven. Oh, yeah. That's a good choice. I haven't seen it in a long time after we watch it. I haven't seen it in a long time either, but I, I'm always... It's always on my list of like, I could watch that right now. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, that's true. It says strange things about my taste. (laughs) Now, here's one that I could go back and watch every time, but I had such a magical experience watching it with a friend in college uh, that it would never be the same, and it's uh, Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous. Oh, okay. Uh, It's an amazing, amazing movie. Yeah. Box Um, office bomb. Was it? I didn't know that. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's so many people's best roles, I think, Mm -hmm. especially Kate Hudson. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's amazing in it. She is so likable yeah and sad uh and 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 it's it the movie just has so much heart it's happy but it's not sappy is what i have written down yeah um and it it just kind of makes you believe in in goodness in the world you know it's this little kid he's not a little kid he's 16 he's this teenager and he goes out and he and he and he gets to cover his favorite rock band for rolling stone magazine for months and he gets to go along with them and you kind of get shown this awesome world of seventies rock and roll uh, through the eyes of a sixteen-year-old kid, which mm-hmm. is just like like uh, what you're saying is a magical, ideal world. That's yeah. not, and I think it's almost got the unreliable narrator thing going for it because yeah. you only see things through uh, Patrick Fugit's uh, eyes, which sort of be- becomes. Uh, I think his name is William. It is William. Yeah. Yep. Which sort Good of becomes, call. Which sort of becomes a plot point. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true, and yeah. and and, and um, you know it's a great role for Francis McDormand as well. Zoe Deschanel's in it, which you know <laughs> gets me. Yeah, I like Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel, and who else plays like the the groupies? Um, uh, Kate Hudson and Farouza Balks. Anna in it. Paquin. Oh yeah, 
and uh, and 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 uh, Billy Crudup. Yep. Or however, Crudup, yep. Crudup, 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 Crudup. Crudup is a terrible name. Either way, it's it's fun. Oh, to say. that name sucks. Crudup. That's the. Do you think that's the only reason he's not a big movie star? That his last name sucks. Yeah. Maybe. Right. I don't know how to say it. Oh, I don't know. I don't think that's the reason why he's not a big movie star. I think that's the reason. Okay. I think everyone's down on Crudup. But anyway, uh, oh, Jason Lee's in that too. Yep. The Scientologist. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's just a happy movie. Yeah, it's magical. It's gotta be I, one. I don't I, have one on my list. And I had this uh, I had this great watching experience with a friend in college where we uh, we did something illegal, and then we <laughs> uh, and then we uh, watched the movie, and we we were just engrossed because you were so into the story. Like I forgot the world around me existed. Yeah. It was just in this movie, and you know I think everyone needs an experience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was. It's just an amazing movie. It's magical. It makes you believe in goodness. So I love that movie. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Me neither. I want to revisit it now. Yeah. Um, number two for me is my favorite movie for one of my favorite film series. So not necessarily my favorite director. Wait, can I guess? Go Star ahead. Wars Episode Five. No. My favorite Star Wars movie is actually The Last Jedi. Oh. Um, which might lose us some viewers. Oh, I love The Last or, Jedi. Or some, some listeners. It's one of my favorites, too. Um, if not my favorite. I think it's The Empire Strikes Back of the, of the 2000. So is it... Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, it's is Casino it? Royale. Oh. Uh, Martin Campbell directed um, James Bond movie. The first with Daniel Craig. Um, the first movie I experienced of like the gritty reboot. And um, shameless, I'm a fan of the gritty reboot. Um, for, for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. So Bond was getting real goofy. The last Brosnan movie in 2002 had like a solar gun that would like shoot from a satellite and like melt melts ice like there's like an ice palace and Halle Berry and like one of the worst segments I mean portions of CGI I've ever seen in my life um, and I was like oh they're starting with like James Bond's first mission that's interesting I was like I was 11 yeah and I saw this movie in the theaters and it's just so cool it is really cool um, it's I think the perfect format for a movie that's two and a half hours long mm-hmm. is it's three distinct acts that like really inter- intertwine very well mm-hmm. you have the whole airplane plot and then you have the the actual poker match and you have everything that happens in venice post poker match mm-hmm. um and i was 11 and had no idea what was going on but i was still right there with it the whole time um opening credits sequence is so well animated i, I can go back and watch it all the time with all the cards and like the roulette tables it looks so good um it's not the best Bond movie in quotes. Um, I think that still belongs to Goldfinger, mm-hmm. but I think Love it's Goldfinger. I think it's the best movie in the Bond franchise. Okay, in terms of like enjoyability and and the way that it, I mean, it really did revitalize the franchise. That's, you, that it, now looks like it might be going on for fifty years more. Yeah. That looked dead in two thousand two. Yeah, I'm with you. If you if someone like from like Bratislava came to America and had never seen a Bond movie, you'd recommend them. I think yeah, I'd Casino recommend Royale. Casino Royale. I, w- sure. I think I would too. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. Not only because it's like canonically the first one, but I think it's the best one. I think it's tough to look at like you can go back and watch Doctor No. Yeah, but it's in a million dollar movie from 1961. Yeah, I like Skyfall. I don't Skyfall. think I don't think you're gonna, but you have to have the attachment to M with Skyfall. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't think you're gonna look at Doctor No. I, I don't look at Doctor No in a very good light. Yeah, in 2018. Yeah, um, it seems very fake. Yeah. Um, and it looks like a million dollar movie from 1961. I know yeah. it's like a classic. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, Casino Royale, far and away. Not far and away, but my favorite Bond movie and my second favorite. My, the second movie that I think most defines my taste in yeah. movies. I think uh, one of the successful things about that, more than any other Bond movie, is that you actually like get attached to the Bond girl. And like, Bond. Yeah, well, of course, and Bond. But I'm saying, like, I feel like a lot of the earlier yeah, ones... Ava Green kinda... is phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's right there with Daniel Craig. Yeah. And, like, in movies that historically have Bond and then, like, his useless sidekick yep. girl, mm-hmm. Ava Green in this movie is so good. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And supremely well directed by Martin Campbell, who yeah. also directed GoldenEye, which is one of my favorite Bond movies as well. Mm-hmm. So... Nice. Bring him back. I mean, I think... Danny Boyle just bailed from Bond 25, oh, so they're going to looking for a director, and I think Martin Campbell would be a great choice. There you go. Hollywood, listen up. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so number two for me uh, is my second TV show, final TV show, uh, best TV show of all time, in my opinion, is uh, Mad Men. Yeah. Uh, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's uh, seven seasons, 13 episodes in each season. Each one's like 42 minutes. You should all watch it. Uh, it is the most, it is on Netflix. Um, and it's a uh, Netflix survivor, which is great. I hope it doesn't go to Hulu. <laughs> Don't want commercials. Yeah. Uh, that's by, by itself, it's worth paying the extra money to not get commercials if it goes to Hulu. But anyway, it is the most complete character work of any TV or movie ever. I think, and you know, I think it's hard, a well-executed TV show. It's hard to compare to a movie in terms of that because you have, you know, hours and hours and hours to, to work with these characters and, and Mad Men really takes advantage of that. I mean, everyone has their issues. Everyone has their flaws. Everyone has their problems. Uh, there you are can, no good guys. In there the are no good guys. And you can, uh, you can point to a good moment and several good moments and several bad moments for every character. They're all shaped three-dimensionally. And at the end of the day, you find a way to like things about all of them, and you find a way to dislike things about all of them. And, you know, it does have a plot. Um, it's not going to hook you right away. It actually took me three tries to get into Mad Men. I watched a few I think episodes. it was the same for me as well. Yeah. Um, but once you get attached to the characters, it's like they become, you know, your, your not your not your friends or family or whatever. Yeah, but you just wouldn't like, want them as friends or family. No, no. You, but they're people that you know really well. Yeah, you, you feel you like you're an intern. Yeah, you're a fly on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um yeah, a lot of people actually have a problem with it just because it depicts so many acts of misogyny and racism. Um, and, and you know what? If, if that's something that really bothers you, like you can't even watch it, that's fine. Don't watch it. Uh, for me, it knows what it's doing. It's not glamorizing anything. Yeah. It's, it's not, definitely not trying to say like, oh, this is just what happens. Yeah. Like, no, it, you're supposed to kind of hate everybody in this show. Yeah. Oh, at, at least when they do things like that. They're, yeah. they, they also have a lot of redeeming qualities, a lot of them. But it doesn't glamorize it. It doesn't condone the terrible things it does. When, when Don is sleeping around, uh, you know, when when Pete is sleeping around, uh, I guess most of the bad things Roger they do is sleeping is around. Sleeping around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When they're when they're doing that, um, yeah, it's horrible, uh, and you you hate them for doing that because of what they're doing to their families and what they're doing about these other characters that you love. But then. At the same time, I mean, they just turn it on dime. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling, but I no, love I'd... love Mad Men, and everyone out there should watch it. You can you can watch individual episodes and love it. You can watch uh, the full series in order as as a as a larger. How many times piece. have you seen Mad Men? One, uh, season one through seven. I've probably watched through it 
in order twice, but okay. how I rewatch that often is I go through and watch seasons. So I'm mm. like, oh, I'm really feeling season seven. Yeah, I'm gonna just go watch season seven. Then I'll take a you know a week or two and watch season seven, and then that'll be it for my Mad Men for a couple weeks. Yeah, one of the more interesting, I think, series finales. Oh yeah, ever amazing series finale. I mean, you finally. I mean, like, Don is such a... Don defines, like, this idea of the faker, like, this imposter syndrome. And he and he's just, like, searching and searching this whole show for a way to not feel fake, to feel like himself and to know who he is. And, you know, it's not flashy, the ending. But it, no, but not he, in the slightest. He, I think at the end, he kind of... It, it's kind of presumed that he kind of figures it out. He yeah. figures out who he is and what he adds to the world. Uh, and it's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. Pe- uh, favorite character, Peggy. Love Peggy. Yeah. Um, She's great. Yeah. I mean, that the whole, that, the whole cast is phenomenal. Yeah. And they look great. If you like, uh, if you like um, what's that called? The, the Elizabeth Moss. I'm an idiot. Uh, the Margaret Atwood. Um, why am I blanking? It's about the women who, it's like a dystopia. Handmaid's Tale? Yeah, Handmaid's Tale. If you like Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss amazing yeah. in in Mad Men. So, um, yeah. That's my number they, 2. And they look great. Going back to my, histor- my like historical fiction. Yeah. Man, the costuming. <laughs> it's so good. So, it's so good. Yeah, I love it. The colors in that show, speaking of colors, amazing. It's just like just like eye-popping when it wants to be and yeah. and it's dark when it wants to be and it's just sets a mood. So number 1 for me, yeah. um this is the movie that I would run to the theater if someone said this movie reminds me of blank mm-hmm. i would go see this movie at like in seconds mm-hmm. if someone said to me this movie in theaters reminded me of inception mm-hmm. oh wow i'm my ass is in the theater in 15 minutes so nolan's the third director nolan is see. my third director okay. that's i think is the only director who has like really emerged in the 2000s that really has like a staple on like the nolan movie that you need to see could be edgar wright's a good one Edgar Wright's a good one as well. Although I wasn't Shaun of the Dead late nineties. Was it? I thought it, it could was have been. I don't know. You that's that's an excellent counterpoint, and I would not argue with you. Um uh Christopher Nolan Inception. This is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Um it's tough though, because I love pretty much every single one. Did you hear the one in my honorable mentions? I did. I did. What do you think of the prestige? Um really good. I yeah. mean it's one of the more rewatchable ones. Yeah. Um just because you look back and you know how it, how it all ends, and he tells you how it ends. In yeah, the, the very beginning <laughs> of the movie, he does. The twist is presented to you by Michael Caine. Michael Caine in Kane. the first like three minutes, and yeah. for the rest of the movie, you're like, nope, can't be that. Yeah, can't be that. And yep. it is. It's that every time. Yep. Um, this Sorry, is, Go I ahead. like heist movies mm-hmm. and I like ensemble casts. Mm-hmm. This one's got both. Mm-hmm. I also really like visuals without being a cgi fest mm. um, this movie totally has that um, mm. the the sort of landscapes that this movie creates i guess filmscapes um in terms of the like the the layers of the dream like you're in this like rainy city super gray and dark um, there's a train that goes through the city mm-hmm. so cool so like so non-cgi like he has i i think he has like a vendetta against computer generated imaging and he does it sometimes with, like, I mean, they flip a city onto itself. They fold it over itself. Right. Um, the visuals are so good. They're on, like, a, they're in, like, an ice fortress, which is, like, very bondy. They're in this, like, super cool hotel. 
um, and like the costuming is great. And I also love, um, I was listening to Blank Check, which is another podcast where they go over director's filmographies. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan's one of the ones that they've studied. Um, and there's parallels to the making of a movie here mm-hmm. um, within each member of the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Dom is like the director. Ariadne is the screenwriter. Um, Eames, best Tom Hardy role in my opinion. He's so good in this movie. Is the actor. Um, uh, Watanabe uh, Saito is the producer. Mm-hmm. The way that they plan this heist is sort of like how you make a movie, um, which is really, really cool and sort of like a nice meta thing. But mm-hmm. Inception is, yeah. I mean, I love Inception. I think a lot of people love Inception. Yeah. So it's not the most original choice for me to put as like the number one movie that defines my tastes. But it's but if, there's an, yeah. there, if there's an Inception-esque movie out in theaters, I'm going to see it immediately. That's so interesting because for me... Like, there are so many movies out there that's, like, disappointing that they're the only one of those. Mm-hmm. Like, that you – it has elicited a certain feeling in you yeah. that is kind of indescribable and irreplaceable and, and not able to be replicated, um, otherwise known as irreplicable. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, – yeah, and I feel like Inception's that for me. See, I feel it's so weird because if someone told me a movie is like Inception, you should go see it, I'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, ex- that's it's right. not exactly. like Inception. There's, there's, no, no, there's no way. There's no way, there's no way it's going to be good because Inception is so good and it's amazing that it's good and because it's, there's so many moving parts. It's so original. Yeah. I think that's my favorite thing about it yeah. is it's not a sequel or a spinoff. It's like Christopher Nolan was like, I'm going to make a heist movie in yeah. the human mind. Yeah. And you're like, that's messed up. And like the movie has it's flaws in terms of narrative. Yeah. There are plot holes and it's always tough to figure out. Every time you watch that movie, you try to listen to the dialogue more because the first two thirds of the movie is explaining how the final third's going to work. Yeah. And there's always stuff that's kind of left ben- like beneath the cracks, I think. Yeah. Um, but you can throw, I mean, for, you can throw it away for the enjoyment that I, that you can get out of this movie. Yeah. That's a good choice. Thank you. Number one. Um, number one for me. Uh, it was hard. I, I, I love Richard Linklater. And uh, I decided to go with uh, Dazed and Confused, which is the Linklater classic. Uh, This is a movie that my friend uh, Nicholas and I in college would probably watch once a month uh, for a couple years straight in college. um, Just because it's got everything that I want in a movie. Uh, It's not the most woke movie. I I don't think it has aged particularly well. Um, Matthew McConaughey's character in particular has not aged very well. Uh, but at the same time, the beauty of a Linklater movie and the beauty of Days and Confused is that it's um, it's so it seems so shallow on the surface. Days and Confused is about a night in Austin, Texas, and a bunch of high school kids having a party. That's what it's about. Yep. And it's like if you told me that's going to be a good movie, I'd be like, why? Like, no, it's not going to be. I could have something that. else. Yeah, yeah. But there isn't anything else, and it's just a bunch of characters who on the surface are shallow and have their uh, surface-level motivations for the way they act and the way they do things. And then as the movie progresses and you hear them talk and talk and talk more about their their philosophies and, you know, you realize there's so much depth here to each of the characters. And, and what Linklater does with these very, um, you know, not meaningless, but, but very uh, pedestrian kind of plots, like, you know, he, he allows for that kind of thing where you get to know each of these characters and why they're doing what. So 
and, and not to mention, it's just a beautiful movie. It's beautiful. I mean, uh, there's this scene where McConaughey and then the young kid, Mitch, mm-hmm. is uh, walking into uh... the... <laughs> walking into the... Uh, uh, this pool hall and Bob Dylan's Hurricanes playing and it's the coolest scene. Uh, and Bob Dylan's Hurricanes like a nine minute song that I would never listen to because it's nine minutes and it's the same thing over and over again. But in yeah. this particular scene, it's like, oh my God. And, and and I think, you know, top five movie music moments is something we're going to have to talk about in the future and, and that certainly. will almost certainly be on my list. Um, yeah, I love, love, love that movie. Um, there's... Yeah, like I said, there's a lot wrong with it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is proudly Linklater's masterpiece. I, I love Boyhood. I love School of Rock. I loved his most recent, Everybody Wants Some. And then there are some other ones that are really great, like Slackers. And um, yeah, I mean, he's just he's just amazing. And all of his movies have that, where it's like, you know, some sort of reveal of character in in all of the, the characters. Maybe School of Rock accepting yeah, but School of Rock's amazing. Too. School of Rock is great. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a that's our list, and that's our like a, a good little I don't know um, taste of our tastes. Yeah, um, that's a good way of putting it, and a good and a good sort of I don't know segue into kind of what we're going to be doing um, for the rest of this podcast um, uh, is is sort of talk about what we liked and what we didn't like, yeah. and hopefully this establishes for our listeners m- more of what our basis will be. Um, I think we're going to pride ourselves on being, um, whenever we have an opinion on something, we should back it up. Yeah. Um, it always bothers me when someone goes, I didn't like this, and someone asks why, and they go, oh, I, I just didn't. Yeah, um, and, and I don't think either of us have any sort of snobbery in, in no. what we like and why. Yeah. I mean, as long as you can back it up. In general, I yeah. love movies. Like, there are very few movies that I've ever seen where I'm like, I hated that. Yeah. We'll talk about one next week because it came out this summer. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So to segue into our next week's preview, um, we're going to start our sort of rotational, uh, our, our podcast rotation or subject rotation with summer movies, with movies and TV. So we're going to do a summer movie slash TV recap. Mm-hmm. Um, what did we see? What did we like? And um, I think it would be nice to stick with this sort of ranking continuity of I would like to rank the movies that we saw this summer mm-hmm. and what we sort of, I mean, I think I, I, think I saw... 10, 11 maybe? Um, yeah. And I, I'm thinking of a list of which I like the most. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, in the future, A, we're going to try and keep these podcasts shorter, more like an hour. Yeah. It was just hard to do with all of this information that we were kind of talking through uh, in the first episode just to, you know, kind of introduce ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the future, we'll try and keep it more like an hour. And I think the top five is going to be a recurring segment. Yeah. And we'll uh, think of a, a categorical, a categorically appropriate top five for every week. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of going to be the show next week as we're going to be talking summer movies. We're going to be talking movies in general. Uh, we might do a simple favor review. Yeah. Potentially. We're, we're both planning on seeing that in the next week. Yeah. Um, and then getting we'll, really good reviews. So excited to see it. Yeah. And then we'll probably end with the top five. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of going to be the basic just, um, you know, we're kind of going to do that for music as well. What what did we enjoy mm-hmm. recently? Or, you know, name an album that you like. What are we excited coming out? What don't you like? Defend it. What classic hot takes, you know. Yeah. And anything really <laughs> that's fun and opinionated that we can back up. Yeah. Uh, I think is, is fair game yeah. to talk about. And, and I think, um, you know, hopefully that's something that um, – you know, people enjoy listening to. I think I think they will. I think people will have their own opinions yeah. of of the things we and talk about. And they can choose well. which one of us they like more. Yeah, uh, they, that's true. 
That's true. I mean, it's not much of a choice. But, no, no, no. Uh, no, but, but you know, eventually, and we could even, um, you know, if people start listening to it and liking our, our top fives, we could eventually take top fives that are suggested to us. Yeah. We'd um, absolutely love, to, I mean, any suggestions yeah. you have for, for topics or, or for segments. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Top five lists. Yeah. Keep, keep, uh, yeah, let us know. And, uh, you know, we'll come out with, with the ways to, to my, reach us. My favorite thing about when someone gives me a list of things mm-hmm. is nine times out of ten I get something that I've never heard of before mm-hmm. or haven't seen yet. Or you have um, an opinion which about we've that. Are, which we've are, right. So if you've seen it, you have an opinion on it. Or if you've heard it, you have an opinion on it. But if you haven't, then you're now exposed to something that somebody else is now recommending right. to you. Three right. recommendations. Right. Yeah. So, so that's the podcast. Uh, yeah, come back next week and we'll talk about movies. Yeah. Uh, stay distracted until then. <laughs>